This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work. Here is Christina Mendonca. Hi, everyone. This is a fresh agenda where we talk with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders and find out how through the distractions of life they get at their deepest work. I'm Christina Mendonca. Welcome to this little spot in the digital universe. Make yourself comfortable. I'm glad you're here. Great guest today, Patty McCord, the former chief of talent for Netflix. We're going to chat about her Netflix culture deck. That's one of her claims to fame. She's an author and speaker and radically honest about how we should all be looking at our businesses and careers. But first, I've been thinking of Patty's interview and how it relates to the big news of this past week, two very high profile suicides, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. Both of these were particularly shocking to my family because as a family, we followed and had been huge fans of both of these people. Now, I know Kate Spade sold her design company years ago, but the whole reason my daughters and I love that brand is that it's sunny and upbeat. The colors and the textures and the marketing of her products, it's about happiness and lightness and fun. And it just seems so at odds with the woman who took her own life. Her sister mentioned depression, uh, that she might have been having marital pro problems, and really it's none of our business, but it is tragic that someone who added so much joy and art and jobs and creative and energy to the world is gone by her own doing. And then there's Anthony Bourdain. My entire family has followed Bourdain since he was on the Travel Channel, and certainly he wouldn't be described as sunny or light but he did take such a visceral interest in experiencing all aspects of the human condition. He wanted not only to eat the food, but with, to be with people of all walks of life in their homes, in their wealth or their poverty. One of his most impressive episodes to me was when he visited a very conservative American town, so completely opposed to his own politics and value system, and he embedded himself culturally there to understand and experience the people without judgment. He just made himself an open vessel to their lives. And I admire that radical objectivity and willingness in this hyper opinionated industry to experience a world of people that he had nothing in common with. And he did that over and over again. I just love the way he started each program as well, kind of pulling you close. It was such an, an intimate way of writing to get you into the program. I'm really gonna miss his art and his writing. And if you haven't read Kitchen Confidential or even any of his cookbooks, I highly recommend them. His writing makes you feel like you're sitting there right with him, having a beer and just chatting. So let me make the connection now. Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, whatever was happening in their personal lives, which we have no right to know, their professional lives seem so highly fulfilling, even apart from the financial success. They were both artists and creatives in a world where so many people go to work nine to five in jobs that just don't stretch them very much. But your professional life is just one outlet for your creativity and happiness, but it's an important one. And Patty McCord knows this very well. She spent 14 years at Netflix working with hundreds of highly innovative, motivated, and talented people. People she got to hire and people she had to fire when the company had no more use for them. She was the chief talent of acquisition. She was the chief of talent acquisition and the cultural architect who became intimately aware with what makes people happy at work. Her Netflix culture deck is a 124 page document. It's been shared 13 million times. And Sheryl Sandberg called it the most important document ever to come out of Silicon Valley. One of the concepts is radical honesty and realizing when it's time to move on. 
And she was asked to move on herself from Netflix in 2012. And she says it was her creation of the culture that caused the company just not to need her anymore. Now she helps other companies with their culture. She talks a lot about what it takes to be happy in your job. Her book, Powerful, Building a Culture of Freedom and Responsibility is out. She has great insights on the future of work and how we should all reframe things when our professional lives just don't go as planned. So before I bring her on, let me tell you briefly about another group of innovators and entrepreneurs and thought leaders, and that's the team at New Age Aerial. It's more than a bird's eye view. New Age Aerial brings you beautiful vistas, breathtaking overviews, and an understanding of how things look from above. From movies to commercial photography and video, the drone team at New Age Aerial can get you the shots you need for a fraction of the cost of hiring a pilot and plane. These guys are experienced flyers too, government agencies trust them during big crises. They can even send a drone up with guided monitoring from an engineer on the ground to get you exactly the photos and video needed. But they are also artists in the sky, getting those unforgettable and scenic shots that open movies and thrill at the beginning of large business presentations. We're so proud to have them as a sponsor because they are innovators in drone technology and use. New Age Aerial, check them out online at newageaerial.com. Enter the promo code FRESHAGENDA to let them know you heard about them here. Patty McCord joins me now. Thank you for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, I wanted to ask you, I saw recently that the valuation of Netflix popped above Disney for a brief moment when the markets were open. And um, I knew this interview was coming up and I thought of you. That must have been a point of pride. Whoa, I know. How exciting is that? Just imagine. <laughs> it's hard to believe. I, I have to tell you, um, when we hit our first million customers, we had uh, our company meetings used to be in a theater downtown from where we worked, like a movie theater. And Reed put the slide up that showed, you know, us, us with a million customers. And it was just this big, exciting celebration. We brought this woman and her kids in who was our millionth customer. We gave her balloons and free Netflix for life. And afterwards, Reed said to me, goes, isn't that incredible? And I said, I want to make a rug of that chart and just roll around. <laughs> <laughs> so who would have thought? Yeah, that's a, it's a really proud moment. Absolutely. So, you know, I just have to ask you, what in your background or either personally or professionally led you to have the confidence to make such sweeping changes uh, in the way Netflix uh, the way the culture developed? Well, Reed and I had worked together at another company before Netflix. It was a software tools company, and we grew through merger and acquisition. And every time we acquired another company, I would take their employee handbook and our employee handbook, and we'd smush them together, and I'd try and come up with a few policies that would piss off the fewest people, right? But it was basically, we just, you know, uh, if you go to anybody and relatively traditional HR, all of their policy manuals and handbooks are just, they're all the same ones. We just changed the logos on them. And, um, and when we sold the company, it was, a, it was a good company. I mean, we had some good experiences there. It just felt like any other Silicon Valley company. And so when we got together at Netflix, we sort of said this time, let's, let's try, let's, be bold, right? Let's be, or at least let's be mindful of what we're creating. 
right? You know, before we put in a policy, let's ask ourselves why. At that point, we had worked together for a really long time, and I was pretty used to him saying, well, why do, why do you people do this? <laughs> how, how, does, how does an annual performance review help me sell software? Because that doesn't make any sense right. to me, right? So I, I was pretty used to him pushing me on that stuff. So almost every bold thing that we tried at Netflix, the seed of the original idea was always read. It was just that at this point he had me compliance enough to go along with the crazy stuff. And the other thing was, Part of our DNA in terms of creating the product was to test stuff. So we would say, hey, here's an idea. We think this, the customer would really like this. And we would, in the, in the company, we would call it A-B testing. You'd get a different experience than me, and we'd see which ones you know, turned out well. And so for a lot of these crazy things I did, you know, I would stand in front of the company and say, Hey, you know, we think that um, having keeping track of the time that you're at work and the time that you're not at work doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Because we don't fire people for being tardy or being absent. It usually happens, you know, we're, we, we pay you to get your work done. So we're going to try this experiment where we're not going to keep track of vacation and holidays and sick time. We're just going to let you try and get your work done. And our lawyers and everybody I know in the entire HR community in the world thinks it's insane. So, and, um, and that you guys are going to just never come to work and we're not going to get anything done. And it's going to be complete chaos around here. And if they're right, then we'll just go back and do what, what everybody else does. But, you know, if you're with, but let's try it. Right. And so because that was sort of in the DNA of the company to try stuff, people kind of like, okay, Let's try it. A lot of companies try this. I mean, I watched one of your TED Talks uh, a few days ago, and you talked about all of the things that my former company used to do, the performance reviews once a year, the empowerment programs, the rebranding every few months where they get all the employee input. And, and you talked a little bit about why those things don't work. Uh, talk, expand upon that a little bit for me. Well, before talking about how they don't work, we don't even measure. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, where, show me the science that says an empowerment program nets a better product for the consumer. There's not one. Right. So, you know, when you do, when you do work that you don't even know what the outcome's going to be other than sort of a fundamental belief, which a lot of stuff we do in HR is driven by, right? Because we've observed people for a really long time and we fundamentally think that, you know, for example, uh, a bonus program will drive people to uh, doing better work because they're going to work harder for their bonus. Now let's take something like that. There's a lot of science now that says that's just simply not true. And when I talk to people and companies about their bonus programs, I say, I'd be happy to discuss this with you as long as we talk about it for what it really is, deferred compensation. Mm -hmm. Because it's rare, I mean, almost never have I ever talked to a company that has not paid the, the performance bonus to literally everyone who's working there at the time the bonus is passed out. You wonder how this stuff gets institutionalized because so many companies that would like to think of themselves as innovative still do all of this. 
Well, you know, because institutionalizing things was how we got stuff done in an era where um, you could predict the future pretty well and that, um, you know, I, I like it sometimes when people use the words institutional knowledge. And, I, you know, we don't want people to go because they have institutional knowledge. And sometimes I say, yeah, you know, I bet institutional knowledge is really valuable in an institution. <laughs> Because, that is good. That you is know, good. you know, it's like so. Like, but, so there are phrases that we keep repeating and have for, I mean, decades. I'm not even talking about revolutionizing stuff in the last ten years. I, I, I got interviewed by this reporter in the UK one time, and he says, "You know, you, you, your, your observation about how companies operate you know, this is a fairly new concept." And I said, "No, it's not." And he goes, "No, no, no, no. When did you start?" observing this and I said I don't know since I've been working in the 70s and he goes no, no, no it's more recent I said well when did you start to observe it he said it's more like the mid 80s said, it's 2018 right well and maybe that has something to do also with the you know I interview a lot of thought leaders and and they say you know we're out of the information age we are in the imagination age now and so the way that we work and the way that we collaborate is a lot different than it used to be. People don't stay at their jobs. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I did a, a HR conference with a bunch of people from around America, and one of them said, you know, we kind of, we're part of the oldest part of the institution. We want to think, think about how you, hear about how you feel about remote working because we still require people to come into the office from nine to five. And I said, well, do you take their cell phones away at five? He goes, what do you mean? I'm like, we all, we all work from home. Our computers are in our hands. Right, right. <laughs> right? So, what, and I said, why, why do you want them to come to work? I mean, I said, because there's a lot of reasons for coming to work. There's collaboration. There's the ability to go ask a question from somebody in another organization that you, you need the answer to. I mean, but I said, is it because... And I'm thinking back, I'm thinking, I guess we used to come, oh, I know why we used to come to work, have to be at our desk, because that's where our stuff was. You know, our, our files and our computers and, you know, so it's not it, that you are absolutely right that we have a direct connection with our consumers, which is something we didn't have you know, even when you and I were coming up, right? If you worked in retail, you found out how many, whatever you sold last week after they compiled the numbers for last week and you got the report in the middle of this week, right? And, and, and now it's, it's real time information. If we want to get something out, we just <laughs> throw it in, you know, throw it out there and then everybody knows it all at once. So, you know, I agree with, the other thought leaders absolutely on that. And this, and the rigid hierarchy of information flow is really stifling to the, that way of working. And, you know, the, the projects that we do don't take 20 years. Right. 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 You know, uh, you can, you know, I remember when I first started consulting, um, Reed asked me what was different about the world than the world we knew, right? What was different in this wave? And I said, you know, Reed, with enough money, you can put together a company in a month, right? You can get your data, your marketing data machine from this company. You can 
you know, you can outsource the building of your mobile device software. You can't, you know, there's so many pods of expertise now and people are, are, you know, narrowly focused on a lot of different kinds of solutions that you don't have to have these siloed departments that build everything from soup to nuts. You're right. Not only can you build a company in a month, but it can be global in a month. Yeah. Yeah. And how cool is that? And, you know, I've even gone even farther in my radical thinking about how we work, partly because of how I work now. Um, You know, I work a lot on having the time of my life. I travel all over the world. I'm not ashamed of being a consultant or a contractor. It's a fun way to work. And I can come in and I can add enormous value to a company in not very much time where, you know, I've spent my whole life thinking I had to work for a company. I had to be inside to contribute. So now when I talk to um, people and companies, I'm like, look, you know, the temp, the contractor, the consultant, the hourly worker, the individual contributor, the management, those are all cards in your deck. And think about them and think about them with the other thing I've added to my speaking and thinking is time horizons. You know, you, I think we should be able to say to people, yeah, this project's really important to us. We're trying to put together the best team in the world to accomplish it. It might last a couple of years, maybe four. I don't know. Um, but, you know, that's, just, that, that's what you're signing up to. And I think people could handle that. Yeah. You know, I, I did want to talk to you about this, this concept that you have of tour of duty. Uh, I just, um, I've been in the broadcast industry for 30 years and my most recent job in broadcast, I was there for 22 years. That is like unheard of now. And other people coming up in the journalism world have said, gosh, it would be great to get someplace and be able to stay someplace for a while. But that's just not the reality anymore. Companies don't seem to need people for that long. You are basically project-based. Yeah, you probably... Uh, so a couple things. The, the term tour of duty is Reed Hoffman. So I actually stole it from him. He's the founder of LinkedIn. Um, and he came to that by watching, you know, people on LinkedIn and the incredible reality of people switching jobs. And I would say even to you, you were able to do that in an industry where you, I'm assuming you had a number of different roles. But, you know, let's take a look at broadcasting. <laughs> you know, that industry's broken up. It's changed quite a bit. There's, you know, I talked to a media company in Scandinavia where they were saying, you know, we had to get rid of, he, he's like, I don't mean this to be demeaning, but we couldn't have any more old newspaper men, right? People who want, we, but now we want journalists and storytellers who are going to create, um, couldn't create content for all of our media platforms. We still want that great story. We just don't know if it's a podcast or if it's a magazine article or if it's a newspaper headline or it's a chapter in a book. Right. Or um, all but, of them. But or all of them, right? Because but what we want is great journalism. Right. So just even looking at your industry, it would be nice, but it's not going to those days are over. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think you have to, you wonder though, is it the gig economy now? So you will not spend your entire career at, with one company. You'll, you, you will jump around and that's an okay thing. And people, millennials are used to that, it seems, but folks like Gen X and older, that's a difficult concept sometimes. Because we've been lying to them. <laughs> because we've been, we've been, to, I just did a talk. I'm, I'm telling you, Christina, I just did a talk. There were 1500 people in the room. And I said, raise your hand if you're in the same job that you had when you graduated from college. Not one hand went up. And I said, I cannot believe that I'm in this incredibly rare coincidence where literally everyone in this room worked for such a terrible company that they couldn't retain you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, because it's a lie. It's a lie, right? And I think Gen X is the last one that bought it. <laughs> and the other thing about millennials, and I, I, I feel bad for the much maligned millennials. Um, you know, I think they'd like to believe that lie too. They're just because they hold computers in their hands and have access to reality and information all the time. They know it's not true. And they look at their own yeah, parents. It's, they've seen what their parents have gone through. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it's like, especially if their parents had been in the same company for 20 years and hating it from 17 of them, right? They don't want to be trapped like that, and <laughs> right? And I think it's a wonderful, healthy, fabulous thing. And the other thing is, you know, they're early in their careers. So, you know, that's... Right, maybe not with the career capital yet. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's I, I'll tell people, like, I'll discuss people who are early in their careers, but I'm not correlating it with age because I know a lot of very mature 20 somethings. I really do. People who are very serious about what they're doing, the impact they're going to make on their companies and their customers in the world. They work hard. They're very smart. I love them to pieces. And I know some really immature 45 year olds. So there is not necessarily a correlation here. So maybe if we can stop blocking people into age groups and start talking about the other factors that affect it. I mean, that we've said, I've said it three times now, you know, when you grow up with the world of information literally at your fingertips, you're a different kind of person than someone who had like, like I did, you know, there was a smart person somewhere that knew that, but it wasn't me. Right. And it does free you up to think of like the bigger picture of design and, and, and creation and collaboration, which I love the way you approach collaboration in a lot of your speeches. It's, it's, that seems to be the drug. That's what, that's what people are craving and, and hold so valuable in their workplaces. Yeah. And don't you find that? I mean, whenever you talk to, when I meet with, um, companies where they have whole teams of people focused on making employees happy. I say, okay, um, all of you know who the most successful people are in this company. Each of you knows the ones the legends are made from, right? The people who are amazing, they're well-regarded, they're well-respected. This week, your assignment is to find three of them and ask them to tell you about a time at work when they felt really great about working there, okay? Just do that. And I'm telling you, every single story will be about a time it was hard. 
ah, we didn't think we could do that, but we did, you know, we came together and pulled it off. Like all, if you think, if you look back on your own career, right, the stuff that you're proud of is not that you had really good cookies at break. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> right. You don't go home and go, God, was today was such a good day. We got a new, we got a nice kind of flavored water. Right. Woo! <laughs> you know, and so th- that's just, I've been observing it for 35 years and, you know, 35 years in, I'm like, I know what makes people happy at work. <laughs> you know, I see it. I see it. Right. I see, I see that glow on your face when you pulled it off the, you know, the test that went well, the learning that you figured out. I, I really believe it deeply. What suggestions when you go into a company and you take a look at their culture, uh, who do you start with? Do you start with the, the top of the chain or do you talk to the employees of that company? I do both, but I start at the top of the chain. And when I start at the top of the chain, I do not discuss culture. I discuss the business, right? So I, I really want to know who the customer is, how the company does or doesn't make money, uh, what, what's their evolution as a business, what's their current pressing uh, critical business issue. Is it scale? Is it complexity? Is it... Uh, having the right people, you know, what is it? And I really want to understand their vision for the future and for success because I have to be deeply inside of that to say, to be able to come back then into, well, what changes are you going through? What do you value in the company? What do you do well? (laughs) Right. And you know, very often I go into a startup and I, my diagnosis will be, oh, I smell that pungent smell of nostalgia. Mm. It also, it also smells like smoke. (laughs) (laughs) And so so here's the deal with nostalgia. Um, Here's the end. Startups only have three endings. You get bigger, you get smaller, you get eaten. Smaller steps. Right. There's no successful global corporation with 50 people in it. None. Right. Maybe someday, but I don't think so. So the reason why your culture is changing is because you're successful. So if you choose to keep your culture or hold on to it or have it be the way it used to be, then recognize you're stepping backwards, not forward into the future. So when I talk to people about culture, I say, look, to me, I I go back to my college courses in cultural anthropology. You know, it's how you behave. It's how you interact with each other. It's the stories you tell. It's what becomes legend. You know, it's what you see. It's what you do. It has nothing to do with a PowerPoint deck or a declaration or empowerment or engagement (laughs) because you, you can't grant those things to people. Would you say that applies whether you are part of a big company or whether you're an entrepreneur? Do those same principles apply? I wish they did. I, I believe that they do fundamentally for us as humans. But I think that, um, that big corporations, I mean, I, just, I do a fair amount of work with big corporations now. And 
they get it, right? They know that the way they're operating is too slow, it's cumbersome, it's not attractive to the new talent coming in, and it leaves them vulnerable to competition that's more nimble, right? I mean, huge institutions are being torn. And broadcasting, right? You and I just talked about that, right? But, so that is completely transforming. You know, I get a fair amount of calls from banks, <laughs> from uh, consulting practices, you know, who give everybody else advice but don't want advice on their own organizations. And so with them, you know, I kind of have to gently hold their hands and look them in the eyes and say, just throw away one thing just to prove to yourself you can. One thing. Ask yourself why, why you do stuff. That's all. For the first week when you go back, I want you to say, look at every single thing you do, quote, in management, and say, why do we do that? And, and, and if it's, we've always done it that way, you can, it may not have that answer. <laughs> That's the unacceptable answer. How do you approach it, Patty, from the other side as an employee coming into a company or, or a, you know, a small startup? How do you how do you approach it so that you can be of most value? Well, I think you have to be pretty self-critical as you move through your career, and really, you know, at every transition, stop and think. Okay, what have I learned in my last role? Uh, what am I good at? What am, what gets me excited? How do I like to work? Right, and sort of make a list of all of those things. You know, I have an, I call it my algorithm for success, and it goes like this: Is what you love to do that you're extraordinarily good at doing something we need someone to be great at. So as you move through your career, you want to continuously learn what it is that you love to do that you're extraordinarily good at doing. And sometimes you learn those things by doing something and not being good at it, right? It's like, well, I can do that. I just, I don't like it and I kind of suck at it. So probably shouldn't choose that as my next career occupation, right? And if you're really good at something and you go and interview and the job you're interviewing for is something that you don't, you know, you can do it, but you're not, okay, so I, yeah, I guess I could get this job, I could do it, then the company's not going to be very happy with you because they'd like you to be extraordinarily good at doing it. So it's that matchmaking that happens, you know, as you move through your career for probably 40 years, right? And sometimes, you know, I, I remember a reporter asked, telling me one time her theory was that um, all the millennials were going to work on the coast in San Francisco and New York because that's the hip places to live and that the larger companies with Silicon Valley was going to fade and die because nobody wanted to work, you know, in Palo Alto or whatever. And I was like, go give me a break. You know, the reason why Facebook isn't in San Francisco is because there's not room for them. <laughs> you know, they have, 25,000 people, so they just don't, aren't going to fit. And secondly, you know, people like interesting, complex problems. You know, as people move on in their career, sometimes they want bigger problems to solve. And so you don't learn that until you've solved a lot of small problems and you're, you know, so people like bigger companies. <laughs> and by the way, you know, the other thing about the millennials is they'll get older crazy thing that right and so the you know you when you 
settle down and you have families, then sometimes those urban areas aren't the greatest places. I remember coaching one of my startup CEOs in New York in the winter, and he had just had a baby. And I'm like, oh, my God, how do you deal with a stroller? you know, in Soho in February. It's like, oh, it's, it, it is crazy. I've actually, I've watched it myself as I've had, you know, younger colleagues come in and I've seen, oh, they live in the city and they're, they're snowboarding before work every day and just living it up. And then pretty soon they get married and then all of a sudden they're moving to the burbs. And yeah, I've seen it over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. My, my son's getting married in August. He just moved from the city. Um, you know, I think I'm going to have grandkids one of these days soon. And so, you know, I, when he turned 30, I said, oh, honey, are we going to have to call you a thirlennial now? Like, do you get a new name? <laughs> uh, um, something I ask all of my guests, uh, how, how in as busy as you are with everything that you're doing, how do you stay creative? What do you do? What are your rituals? What are your habits? What are your techniques that kind of, if you have a big problem to think about, what do you do? Oh, I was just about to tell you that I just bought a new house and I've gotten back into gardening again and it has a, a pond. And so now I'm all into water plants. So that's probably not the big problem that you were thinking of. You know, I, I'm trying to figure out, um, I now take my career kind of in six-month to one-year segments, and this year has been dedicated to, you know, promoting my book and talking to people about it, and it's been gloriously satisfying. I get an email or a tweet or something every day from somebody that said, you know, you inspired me to think differently, and that's, that's what I live for these days. And, um, and so the bigger problem, I think, is the one that you ask about, um, well, it's, it's on both ends of the spectrum. It's funny. It's the extreme end that I think that we need help, like the startups that are, um, you know, have no, they don't have any swim lanes. And so it's kind of chaotic and they got to figure out how to be bigger, successful companies in a more creative way. And then about helping the corporation to have incredible customer bases and loyalties to be more responsive to that and change the way they're doing business. So I think about that a lot. You know, I, I think about the theories I have and then when I go into businesses to test them. Tell me where we can find you, uh, read more about you. Of course, your book, um, that's out. We can definitely do that. And I found a lot of different speeches and, and comments online of you as well. But where's, tell me your website. Give me all your particulars. My website is pattymccord.com. And all of the, it's all there. <laughs> So my bio is there. There's a lot of speeches. I do a lot of podcasting like this, and I really, I really love this conversational mode because it, I think sometimes it's easier to hear than to read. Absolutely. I think it's just a much more intimate experience sometimes than, uh, than the video experience. And, and we definitely, I've, there's so many things that you have said today that have resonated with me. So thank you very much for your time. You know, Christina, when I, um, I didn't want to do a book, I just wanted to do a series of podcasts. And it took a lot of people to convince me that the series of podcasts could follow the book. <laughs> <laughs> the book was the anchor, so, um, so it's worked out so far. Um, thanks so much for having me. This has been fun.
fascinating woman. You can catch her at pattymccord.com. She said one of her favorite appearances lately was on the PBS segment called Brief but Spectacular. You can link to that through her website. Powerful, Building a Culture of Freedom and Responsibility. That is her book. You can find it on Amazon. And you can find me at christinamendanza.com. And I have an exciting interview I'm releasing on my YouTube channel this week. I want to tell you about that. But first, one of our sponsors, New Age Designs, web design, development with a purpose, ambition, and analytics. If you need digital marketing, you need design, SEO, SEM, Google Analytics setup, they can do that. They will get you all set up with web hosting and they know all the key technologies. New Age Design staff has spent decades managing various UX and web marketing projects for large corporations, giving them the opportunity to work with the most talented digital agencies in the world. They certainly can help you. Check them out at newagedesigns.com. And when you reach out, use the code FRESHAGENDA. They'll take great care of you. All right, my original story this week is on Ryan O'Callaghan. Ryan's played for the Patriots and the Chiefs. He always believed that he would take his own life when his NFL career was over. He'll talk about why and what stopped him from going through with it. Ryan's interview is very timely for a couple of reasons. First, the discussion of suicide that a lot of us are having in light of the suicides of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. This is also LGBT Pride Month and Ryan only came out last year. He's going to talk about how difficult it was to be gay in the NFL. So thank you for being here so much for a fresh agenda. Appreciate your time. As always, reach out to me anywhere you want to on ChristinaMendonca.com or through KFBK.com. You can go to Christina Mendonca Reports there. I have a special section and you can hear me on News Radio KFBK every morning and every afternoon during the commute hours, 623, 823 and 523 p.m. Thanks again for being here. Let's stay connected. This is a fresh agenda. Bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work.